everything that the Lord does in our lives, everything, is for the purpose of drawing us closer to Him. Sometimes that is difficult to wrap our minds around. But everything that the Lord does in our lives is for the purpose of drawing us closer to Him. And the way that He draws us closer to Him is by building our faith. Faith, believing, trusting, committing ourselves to Him is the way that He draws us closer to Himself. I've been in a series of messages from John's Gospel And we looked at the prayer that Jesus prayed for us in John's Gospel, chapter 17, and how it teaches us how to pray. In recent weeks, we looked at the lead-up to the crucifixion and resurrection and how John laid all of that out. Last week, of course, we looked at the resurrection and how he laid the story of the resurrection out and how he walked up and he looked in that tomb and Peter ran into the tomb and as we said, you got to go in. And he went in there and he records how he saw how the grave clothes of Jesus were left just in perfect condition, speaking of a resurrection that had taken place. In the 20th chapter of John's Gospel, John is moving towards concluding his book. And he gives us the reason, the purpose for why he has said everything that he has said. So if you'll turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 20. John's Gospel, chapter 20, where he lays out here the reason and the purpose for everything that he has written in his book. John's Gospel, chapter 20, and we're going to begin with verses 30 and 31. And my message outline is contained in your Rocky Mount Connection, so I encourage you to follow along as we move through this. Now, Jesus did many other signs. The word signs is a favorite term that John likes to use to speak about how Jesus performed miracles to prove that he was the Son of God. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, notice what John says here. Everything that I've written is for a purpose. And what is that purpose? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, when John went to write his gospel... The word gospel means the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. When John went to write his gospel, what he did is he sort of set it up almost like a courtroom situation. And what he was out to prove and demonstrate is that Jesus is the only Son of God. So how did he do that? As he begins to write, he sort of calls forth seven different witnesses And these witnesses that he calls forth are seven specific miracles that Jesus performed. He refers to them as signs. And they are signs pointing to Jesus as the Son of God. And so he sort of brings up one story of one miracle, one sign, speaks to that. And then later on as he writes, he'll bring up another one and another one. Let me review those signs very quickly, those stories that John presents, those seven ones. First of all, at the marriage in Cana of Galilee, Jesus turns the water into wine to demonstrate his power over nature. Next, he heals the son of a royal official. At the pool of Bethesda, he encounters a gentleman who has been an invalid, hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. 
and he heals him there. Next, he feeds the 5,000. And in so feeding the 5,000 with several loaves of bread and fish, he points to himself as the bread of life and as the only one who has the ability to truly satisfy our souls. The next sign is that he walks on the water in the midst of a storm and he calms the storm. He stops the storm in the middle of the storm and demonstrates again his power over nature. Next sign, he gives sight to a man who is born blind and that ties in with his proclamation that he is the light of the world. And then leading up to the crucifixion, he raises Lazarus from the dead, speaking to his claim where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, in the second half of John's gospel, he gives signs of what we call humility. Those seven signs I just reviewed were signs of power and signs and miracles of authority. The second half of the book focuses on the last week of Jesus' life, and there are two particular signs that stand out there. One is the washing of the feet of the disciple, where Jesus, in the midst of the meal, begins to move around and wash the disciples' feet. And then the next sign that he performs is on the cross, when he, in awesome humility, lays down his life and he dies for us. So we have the signs of authority and power, followed by the signs of humility. Now, what was the purpose in these signs? They were all for a specific reason, and that is to point to him to convince people that he is the Son of God and for them to focus on him. The miracles were never for the purpose of focusing on the miracles. The miracles were for the purpose of focusing on him as the Son of God, to convince people that he was the Son of God, that he had the authority and the power to be the Son of God, that he was humble as the Son of God. So it was to focus attention on him and to draw people to himself, not draw people to a miracle. You and I, from time to time in our lives, find ourselves asking God, Lord, I need a miracle. Lord, we need a miracle. Lord, we need intervention. We need you to step in and do that which can only be credited to you. We need you to step in and do that which we cannot do, which we cannot accomplish. God, would you give us a miracle? But let me caution you when you and I pray for a miracle. God never gives miracles for the sake of miracles. God gives miracles and performs miracles and does that which cannot be explained apart from his hand for one reason, and that is to bring glory to himself to draw attention to him. When God gives a miracle and we focus on the miracle, we're running the risk of making an idol out of the miracle. But when we ask God to do that, and I define a miracle as that which God does, it cannot be explained apart from him. When God gives a miracle, when God answers our request and our prayer for a miracle, it is so that he will get the glory and he will get the attention. And the reason I emphasize that is sometimes when God does a work, we go around, if we're not careful, and we spend all of our time focusing on what happened instead of the Lord Jesus who performed the miracle in the first place. We get more focused on the act of the miracle than the actor who did and performed the miracle. And so when we ask God to work, it is so that the attention is on Him and the glory is on Him, and we are focused on Him. And that is exactly what he was, John is trying to say here. He performed the 
these signs, he did these miracles so that not that you'd run around and talk forever about him healing a blind man, but that you'd walk away from the blind man and talk about the healer of the blind man. You see, you don't get caught up in the healing, you get caught up in the healer. And that's what he wants us to focus on. Now, last week, I got a phone call from one of our teenage guys who said, Pastor, the Lord has been working in my life and speaking to me, and I just want to share that with the congregation. And that helps us as a congregation, as people focus on what the Lord is doing in a person's life. So, Brandon, if you'd come now and share that with us. Good morning, y'all. My name is Brandon Atkins. I'm 15 years old, and a little bit about my story is about 10 months ago, my mom passed away of cancer. Um, and obviously with any uh, tragedy, if you will, that happens in someone's life, you have questions. And uh, I had some questions, right? And for everyone who asks uh, why, I've been asking a lot of whys over the past 10 months, you know. How do you understand something like happened, you know? It's hard. And uh, being the selfish teenager that I am, 15 years old, not knowing about life, um, I was more or less focused on why and not really what happens, right? So when you think of a Monday, you probably think of, I got to go to work, got to go to school, something like that, right? My Monday this past uh, spring break, my Monday was the first day of spring break I had. I worked all day down at my grandma's house, um, cleaning up some stuff, having from the ice storm. Texted my dad, asked him if I can build a fire. He said, sure, why not? So I got on the tractor got me some wood and went and built my fire. When I built my fire, I told my friends, I'm getting off my phone and I'm just enjoying God's, God's creation. Just going to relax. Well, when I opened my eyes, my mind, my mouth, and my ears, instead of being so selfish, I started thinking about what God has blessed me with over these past 10 months. And I started my talk with God with, I'm not even sure if you're up there, but if you're listening to me, I want to thank you for the friends you've given me, the family that loves me, the, the food you bless me with every morning, the fact that you give me oxygen to breathe in the morning. Because I've seen firsthand, you can go from alive to just gone in a heartbeat. And that's, that's quick. And I learned that really quickly. And so instead of being so selfish and asking God why, I eventually turned to thank you, God. Because I started to realize that even though certain things might happen in your life, you will get something in return, right? There's always a reason for something. When one door closes, another door opens. And when that door closed on my mom, right, the friends that I have became a lot closer. I relied on my friends and my family for a lot more things in my life than I did before. And that led me to get to thinking after I had my uh, encounter with God that if my situation of a 15-year-old kid not knowing about life, if he can come into my life and make me experience to that, some of that degree, whatever financial issue you have, whatever struggle with the relationship you got you have, whatever son and daughter you had that you might not have the best relationship with because you don't understand, if he can help me with not understanding why my situation is the way it is, I'm 15 years old, right? Some of y'all are 30, 40 years old, man, woman. Y'all are a lot more mature than me, right? 
I know what y'all did when y'all were 15. I'm doing the exact same thing. <laughs> so I'm thinking, if it's a 15-year-old kid, he can help me experience that and understand a little bit better, he can help y'all too. And I just thought that was something that needed to be shared because I really had, had a really good encounter with God that past Monday. And uh, first thing has happened in a long time that I felt like I needed to actually share. Thank y'all. Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Call that the miracle of Thanksgiving. God's showing us what he is and he's doing. Notice what happens next with what John says here. The focus is Jesus. The focus of our faith is never the miracle. The focus of our faith is not our circumstances. It's not even the legacy of faith we may have been given to us. The focus of faith is always the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 31. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? It means, first of all, that He is eternal. He has always existed and He will forever exist. In fact, the scripture in the book of Revelation refers to him as the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega being the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the Alpha, he is the beginning, and he is the end. First and the last. He has the Heavenly Father's DNA in him. He is the same substance as the Father of God. He is 100% God, having all and possessing all that God is. To examine the Lord Jesus is to see God for who God is and what God is. Jesus is the holiness of God on display, the might of God on display, the glory of God on display, the power of God in action, the love of God, and the humility of God. Jesus will not be outlasted by anything. I want to say that again. Jesus will not be outlasted by anything. You can take anything that you and I go through in life, anything that we see in life, anything that we see in the bigger picture of life or human history, at some point it's going to stop. He will keep on going. Even when we have days we get discouraged, we feel like we've been defeated, you name it, He will keep on going. His Lordship will never stop. The whole message in part of the resurrection was that death stopped, but Jesus kept on going. Sin was defeated, but Jesus kept on going. The power of man was defeated, but Jesus kept on going. Satan threw everything he had at Jesus, and Jesus kept on going. Man threw everything he had at Jesus on the cross, and Jesus kept on going. The resurrection is his way of saying, I keep on going. I like to compare him to the Energizer Bunny, if you'll understand. He just keeps on going and keeps on going, but nothing in this life or in the next will ever outlast the power and the presence and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 14, and verse 6, Jesus said these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, notice what he's saying. I am the way. If you look at the word the, common article in our language, but in the Greek language, it means 
absolute. I am the only way and the only truth and the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice how emphatic Jesus is being there. He is saying because he is 100% God, because he is the Son of God, therefore he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, how do we know that he's the Son of God? We talked about the miracles. But the greatest miracle is the one we celebrated last Sunday and the one we celebrate every Sunday, and that is the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is God the Father's powerful way of saying, He's my son. He's dead, but I'm going to raise him from the dead. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, His resurrection is proof, is the eternal statement that He is the only Son of God. Now, how do I know that He's been raised from the dead? Well, two ways. Number one, if you go over to Israel, you can search every cave and grave you want to, but you won't find His body anywhere. For 2,000 years, they haven't been able to find his body anywhere. That's because he walked out of the grave. So the emptiness of the tomb speaks of his resurrection. Secondly, his resurrection was viewed by multiple eyewitnesses over multiple days. Any historical event has to live up to that criteria. The resurrection lives up to the criteria of any historical event. Now, notice that Jesus says, I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, often it is said that, you know, that, that, that is narrowistic, narrow thinking. That is restrictive thinking. If you're saying the only way to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's exclusivistic. It is exclusivistic. But those are Jesus' words. When we begin to say, as is popular today, well, he's one of many ways then we are saying that we have the right to change what he said. That we have the right to ignore and build on what he said. But our only calling is to faithfully represent what Jesus said himself. It is not to twist and compromise what he said in order to be politically correct. In our attempt today to be politically correct, we have become biblically incorrect. And our job is not to twist his words. Our job is to see because he's pointing the way of truth. Let me illustrate it this way. I have one son. His name is Jonathan. He's got my DNA in him. Now, I could have a bunch of people claim, guys claim that they are my son. Other people contribute to me and say, David's got all these sons. And that might sound nice, and they might enjoy the title. The problem is... It doesn't hang up. It's not truth. It's not reality. I'm not being mean and narrow-minded when I say I've only got one son because that's all I got is one son walking around. When God says I've only got one son and his name is Jesus and we affirm that, that's just being true to reality. And we don't do anybody any good by saying, well, it's Jesus and a whole bunch of others. It's him and him only for that's how he positioned himself. Now, notice what it says here. It says that he's the Son of God. He wants us to understand that so that you may believe. Now, if you look at the words may believe, in the original Greek language of this passage, it can literally be translated so that you may keep on believing. What John is saying here is that faith in Jesus is not just a one-time experience. 
He's saying, I want you to see that he's the son of God so that you may keep on believing. So that every day is a new, fresh experience of believing. So that you will keep on believing. What Brandon shared with you a few moments ago was a fresh experience that he had with the Lord last Monday. Now, some experiences that we have with the Lord, I mean, they just really hit us right in the core, shake us up. We really get excited about There are others that are just sort of normal, so to speak. They're not as grabbing of our attention. But what he's got for us every day is a fresh experience of believing in him, of committing ourselves to him, of experiencing who he is in a deeper and more real way. This idea of this fresh experience with him is also so that we might live more under his authority. You see, believing in him and trusting in him is learning to live under his authority. Believing is not just acknowledging the facts, okay? Just because I say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe what the Bible says about him, and I believe the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's nice. That's good. That's a starting place. But that won't change your life. This idea of believing is that I place my life under his authority. He's running the show. He's calling the shots. I'm placing my life under his authority. And I'm walking with him, and I am committed to him every day. That is the idea when he talks here about believing on him. Finally, I want you to see in verse 31 that that faith, that everything he does in our lives seeks to build and points to him, is for the purpose, he says, of leading us to life. And that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have life in his name. Now, what does it mean to believe in his name? We saw this term name used a few weeks ago. The concept of the name of God is the character of God. It's the character of Jesus. It is the presence of Jesus. It is the reputation of Jesus. I believe in his reputation that I can follow him, that I can trust him. It is the honor of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. That's what it means to believe in his name, that I am placing my confidence, my trust, my faith, my commitment to every aspect of who Jesus is. And situation by situation, I believe him for who he is in that situation. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. How many of us battle during the week with loneliness? Some of you that I'm talking to right now are battling loneliness. How many of us have struggled with loneliness over this past year when we were cooped up and in quarantine and everything else? Loneliness. I've discovered in recent weeks in dialogue with people, one of the biggest things folks struggle with right now is loneliness. What does it mean to have faith in Him when you're lonely? It means that He's right there with me. It means it's faith in His presence. that He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The low I am with you always to the very end of the world. When I was uh, in between college and seminary, I grew up in Richmond. 
And I went to seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And I remember the morning that I packed up everything in Richmond and headed for Texas. I had never been farther south than North Carolina. And uh, I drove to Atlanta the first day, hung out with my college roommate for several days, and then headed towards uh, Fort Worth. And I remember mile after mile going down that interstate through Mississippi and Alabama and uh, then into Louisiana and then finally crossing into Texas. I thought when I crossed into Texas, I was going to be in Dallas uh, immediately and then Fort Worth. Um, I discovered that once you cross into Texas, you just keep traveling and you keep traveling and you keep traveling. And uh, before I got there, then when I got to Dallas, I thought Fort Worth was going to be on top of it and you keep traveling and traveling until you get to Fort Worth. And I had a whole different perspective on space and miles uh, once I got to Texas. But the farther I went, the more I was leaving everything that I knew and had grown up with in the rearview mirror and going into a future that was unknown. And what made it even more intense is that I had enough money in my bank account to get me in and get me through about the first two months. And then I didn't know what was going to happen. I joked with people I was going to pitch a tent on the president's lawn if I had to, but I was just going to keep on going in that direction because that's what I believe the Lord wanted. But the whole journey was one of the biggest steps I'd ever had to take in faith. Trusting the Lord for provision, trusting the Lord was going to be there. Now, I made another discovery, as many of you have, as life moves on. Sometimes the most fearful journeys we take in life are not geographic and not miles. In fact, sometimes we, don't even t- we take that journey and we don't even travel five inches. It's the journey of life and where we are in life. And trusting Him and believing in Him and being committed to Him means that I know He's there. And I look for his presence. And I look for what he's going to do. And he's been with me in the rearview mirror. But he is just as sure with me right now and tomorrow. And the same thing for a church. Yes, he's been with us in yesterday. But he's just as much here today. And he'll be just as much with us in the future. This life that he talks about, he wants to give us. I want to share, and it's in your Rocky Mountain Connection, a quote by John Piper. Christ does not exist in order to make much of us. We exist in order to enjoy making much of him. Christ does not exist in order to make much of us. We exist in order to enjoy making much of him. When Jesus talks about the life here, that believing on him results in life, the life that he gives us, this is not the idea that he runs around us and says, how can I make you happy today? How can I give you money today? How can I just, you know, give you every little thing you're looking for and asking for today? That's not the idea of the life he's talking about here. The life that he talks about, the life that he gives us, is coming to that place that we enjoy making much of him. It is not getting up every day and saying, Lord, would you make much of me? Would you bless me? Would you promote me? Would you give me this and would you give me that? It is rather getting up every day and saying, Lord, how can I this day make much of you? And I will enjoy making much of you. And here's the irony. When we get to that place, that's when we try. That's when we find true happiness. 
We find true happiness when we are living to make much of Him instead of trying to get Him to make much of us. That's the life. That's the purpose that Jesus talks about here. Making much of Him. That you may have life making much of Him in His name to His honor and to His glory. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank You this morning that you have so worked in our lives that you want to make us to come to the place, Lord, where we know the life that you have for us. And that life is the life of making much of you, of honoring you and glorifying you and praising you. And so, Father, this morning we lift that prayer to you. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, for those of you that are listening to us through social media, the radio, as well as those that are in this room, We want to invite you this morning that if you have never decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that today will be the day that you will say to him a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to belong to you. Forgive me of all the places that I've messed up. Jesus, I want to make much of you. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you've prayed that prayer, if you're listening in some way through social media, media, I just encourage you to to contact us through the church and and let us know so we can encourage you. And if you're here today and you've trusted Christ or there's any other public decision you need to make, then I want to invite you to, to come forward this morning as we sing. And I would love to pray with you, love to have the congregation pray with you. If the Lord's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come. If the Lord is laying on you to come to know Christ, if you want to come and kneel here at the front and just pray, whatever the Lord is doing, we invite you to make that decision for Him. And if you say, hey, I I realize as I watch Corey being baptized that I need to be baptized and I need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism and it's an act of obedience to Him, we invite you to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.
seated. I want to share a few announcements with you, then Brandon Scott's going to assist me in a presentation. Brandon, you can come on down. First of all, if you didn't get one of the copies of the Apostles' Code, which is a devotional over the next 40 days about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you as you leave today to pick up one of these. Um, I will begin in a few weeks a series of messages on the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the book of Ephesians, and we'll also be coordinating this with a study of Ephesians on Wednesday night. But this is a daily devotional that will help you uh, and help all of us as we make this journey together. And so I want to encourage you to pick one of these up. Immediately following our service today in uh, the fellowship hall, there is going to be a meeting of all those who are interested in working in children's church. So let me encourage you, uh, if you have a desire to be a part of that, we're wanting to restart Children's Church the first Sunday of May. If you will go to that meeting, that will be a big help to them. Also want to mention to you that um, Vacation Bible School, of what we're calling Summer Bible Adventure, is coming up in June. And uh, we're doing a little bit different this year. If you have any kind of talent or ability that you would like to to work with kids in, such as woodworking or being out in the outdoors, such as fishing, etc. We're going to offer what we call camps that week, which are opportunities for kids to be a part of that and to learn those as part of what we're going to be doing. Most of it will be outside. It's sort of a different spin this summer on Bible school, and we're looking for that. But we need you to sign up right over here as to what you're willing to do that week. Now, we made you... um, knowledgeable last week about a proposal that has come before the town council and went before the planning commission this past week concerning a brewery being built on property that is adjacent to the church parsonage. Brandon's going to come right now and share with you sort of the logistics of where that's located and how it would fit in around the neighborhood there. So, Brandon, if you'll come. Good morning, everybody. Um, So, Pastor David wanted me to come and speak with the congregation regarding the uh, potential brewery location um, and some concerns uh, that Pastor and Helen, as as well as the church, has regarding that location. Um, I think uh, Pastor David spoke to that a good bit last week. Um, So, I've got a map um, to kind of display the location of it. Um, So the parcel that's shown in red on that map is the potential brewery location. Um, That, the area to the right on that map is where the brewery would be located. Now, all of those areas that are shown in green, 
our existing residences that adjoin the brewery property, and the church is the parcel shown in yellow. So basically, if you were to stand on the front porch here and look directly across the parsonage, you would see through the woods, the hillside there. That's where the proposed brewery is located. So if you're kind of looking at the parsonage just up and to the left, basically, yeah, just behind the tree there. Um, now, a little bit about the location of that and the logistics of the brewery. Um, what is actually on the docket for the town council on Monday is not the brewery being able to be placed there. Um, by right in the central business district in the town of Rocky Mount, they can put a brewery there. They could put a bar there, a restaurant, it doesn't matter. That's, that is able to be placed there by right. Um, however, what they are requesting is a special use permit in order for light manufacturing of beer in the facility. So that is what is actually on the docket. Now, one of the biggest concerns that, that David and I have spoken about is the visual and the audible impact of a facility there. Um, they do plan to have live music. They plan to have music out on the porch. Um, they assure us that there will be no sound from the making of beer, but there will be those events going on uh, as late as 10 o'clock at night. Um, in addition, the potential of having people walking to and from the harvester, uh, the county lot down below, anywhere, the ability of people to walk up that hill is, is significant. So one of the concerns is that they will be able to look in backyards, they'll be able to see what's going on at houses, and some of the pictures that I have on here kind of illustrate the, the limited amount of buffer that currently exists behind the parsonage now. Um, so one of the things that, that we would like to ask of anyone who'd like to is to reach out to your council members and uh, as, as members of the church you have the right to do so. Reach out and ask them at a minimum to require a condition of screening with evergreen trees. Um, that is something the council can do. They can require the property owner to screen the property. Um, so that's one of the things that we ask. And, you know, voice your opposition to the brewery. You know, that's, that's the point of a council. So um, those are some of the things that we wanted to address. And, David, is there anything additional there? All right. Thank you. Yes, because you are members of the church, you do have a voice, so you can reach out to the council. Um, are we going to provide uh, emails? Yes. I'll okay. Yep. So we'll have email addresses that you can you can voice your opposition or come out on um, Monday night to voice your opposition as well. If they, if they required a buffer, typically that buffer is a six inch tree at breast height. That's typically what they would require. Yep. Always good to have an engineer among us who can speak with intelligence to these issues. Uh, there are packets at right over here and in the foyer that you can pick up. It contains the information Brandon just shared with you. Also, it has contact information for members of town council. 
This goes before town council tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. So if you're going to email them or call them, you need to do it by then. Or if you want to come and speak in person to the issue, if you'll meet with me in the choir room after the service so that we can coordinate who's going to say what. And let me say one final word on this. I spoke to Planning Commission last week. I've been here four years. I'm the new kid on the block. Particularly some of you who have been here for a while, uh, you need to speak to this issue. Um, because with being a new guy, I don't care but so much weight, you all would carry much more influence, many of you would, than I would. So let me encourage you along the line, whether you do it through email or in person. All right, want to recognize Mr. Ryan Smith this morning on his 14th birthday today. God bless you, Ryan. Get to be an old man there. Now... Jacob is going to need your prayers tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock because a group of pastors are going to assemble in this room to examine him for ordination at 11 o'clock. So uh, y'all just pray that his blood pressure doesn't spike and uh, he doesn't pass out or anything like that, uh, etc. I'm looking forward to watching being grilled for a while. And uh, let's stand together and let's uh, say our mission statement as a church together. This is what we are about. So let's say it together. Our mission is to glorify God by developing Christ followers of all ethnic groups beginning here at home. God bless you. Have a great rest of the Lord's day.